bless those who can't be here this morning. So if this feels slightly strange, I'm sorry, but we're going to do it anyway. So one, two, three. Hello. Fantastic. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it speaks deeply in life. Hold it to you and we reflect be changed and transformed ever more into your likeness. Come by your Spirit and reveal to us the character of Jesus Christ. Amen. What strikes me about those who saw Jesus crucified is that many were bystanders, by which I mean they weren't directly involved in Jesus' death. Now, before you paint me as heretical, I know that we were all complicit in Jesus' death because we all bear the burden of sin which Jesus came to save us from. So that theological point out of the way, many of those who were around Jesus at the time of his death uh, were bystanders. So Pilate bowed to the demands of the crowd. Mary Magdalene, Mary the wife of Clopas, and uh, Mary the mother of our Lord... Uh, we're all stand, standing or sitting or kneeling, watching on, uh, lamenting, distressed, anxious at what they were seeing. And our character this morning, the Roman centurion, uh, as I said in setting the scene, was a leader of many men. He, he was a, a military figure who commanded probably a hundred or so men. And so he'd have had people to do the actual, the nasty bits. And so he'd have been probably watching on as well, seeing what had happened. But also, what also strikes me is just how much those who might have been bystanders were impacted by the events they saw at Jesus' death and in the build-up to it. Either in what they learnt about themselves or in what they learnt about Jesus. And before we get to the centurion's experience um, of, of what it was to stand at the foot of the cross watching Jesus die, it's worth stepping back and recognising that the whole of Scripture has something to tell us about God's work of transformation. Because beyond the individual Gospels' accounts of Jesus' life, the whole of the Bible tells us the story of God impacting the lives of real people in real places in real ways. And so it's worth always citing the passages we read on a Sunday morning in the context of the bigger picture of Scripture and the story that it tells us. So if you want to try and understand the whole of the Bible in a simple way, try this. The Old Testament teaches us that salvation comes from the Lord and only the Lord. I forgot my reference, but I think it's Jonah 6, 8, um, where, where it says that salvation comes uh, from, from the Lord. You can look it up in your own time. The Old Testament teaches us that we're too flawed, too broken to try and sustain our relationship with God in our own way. And so the story of countless characters in the Old Testament is that they fell and they failed to be faithful to God. What was needed was intervention. And through prophets and kings and judges, uh, intervention was tried and failed. What was needed was more radical intervention. 
more radical grace. And so the New Testament teaches us that radical grace was made possible through Jesus Christ. And Jesus intervened in people's lives and brought about this radical grace. And if we were to skip on from a chapter in Luke 23 into Luke 24, we would realize that the, the, the scriptures tell us that it, you know, it was the scriptures that opened the disciples' minds. It was Jesus who opened the minds of the disciples to the scriptures. Um, Luke 24 um, tells us that. And there's this fundamental relationship between scripture, um, uh, God, and us. Scripture reveals God. It reveals his character and it reveals his works. We can't know God unless we know our Bibles because the Bible tells us who God is and what he does. And so it's through the letter of Scripture that we come to understand the character and works of God and by the gift of the Spirit, uh, the Scripture are made alive and we can apply them the Spirit translates Scripture into our own lives and experience. And so we come to know God more fully. And so I want us to be challenged this Lent. That there, there is not a way of growing in faith in a sustainable way unless you know your Bibles. Of, of all the spiritual tools that exist, um, that there is no way around spending time with God in Scripture pouring over it, reflecting on it, memorizing scripture, letting it sink and be rooted deep within our lives. And so perhaps if you're, if you're late to the Lent party and you're looking for a discipline to take on, you might want to find yourself some Bible reading notes or you might want to uh, get a, a plan that takes you through scripture in a sustainable way and, and, and really invest in, in getting to know the character of God through what scripture tells us of it. That's really important. As scripture takes root in our lives, it begins to have authority over our lives. And we're thinking this morning about authority because we're thinking about the Roman centurion who was a leader of many men. And in Luke chapter 23, we meet this centurion um, who was there just following orders. He was there because it was a job, because it was just another crucifixion. Um, that was his work uh, for the day. And as we look at the centurion's journey, we realize that the centurion is not named in the gospel account, but we're likely to have met the centurion before. So if you were to go to Matthew chapter 8 or Luke 7 you would find the story that we had set in the scene about the healing of the centurion's servant. And that's a significant story, and it tells us something about how the centurion might have approached seeing Jesus on the cross. So let's spend a bit of time looking at We'll go to Matthew 8. Um, and if you've got your Bibles open, you might want to uh, look at this story. Matthew chapter 8. We meet a centurion who pleads with Jesus to come and bring healing to his servant who is critically ill in the centurion's house. On encountering Jesus in Capernaum, the centurion presents his need to Jesus. And I'm in verse 6. Lord, he says, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. He couldn't move. And so Jesus, seeking to meet the need of the centurion who has come to him, offers to go to the centurion's house 
At which point the centurion responds in, um, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and to this one, come, and he comes, and I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. The centurion both understands authority, exercises it, and ascribes authority to Jesus. He knows what it is to be responsible to someone, and what it is to be responsible for people. This is a situation when the authority of God speaks into a situation and brings about healing. Interestingly, notice that not only does Jesus meet the need in this situation for the centurion's servant to be healed, but he does it in a way that the centurion can understand. So remember that verse that I've just uh, called out, that you know, this is a guy who says to people, go, and people go, and come, and people come, and do this, and people do it. So Jesus not only speaks healing into the centurion's servant's life, but he does it in an authoritative way that the centurion understands. And we see this time and again in Scripture that Jesus tells parables and teaches in a way which his audience would understand and appreciate so that everyone reading Scripture may understand something of Jesus' character and his power. So he speaks in a way that the centurion can understand. And before we get back to our passage in Luke 23, just allow yourself to imagine how many instances this centurion might have been present and might have seen Jesus. Think about the military's involvement in the various events that we're thinking about leading up to Jesus' death. The arrest, the trial, the torturing of Jesus. How many of these events were soldiers present at? And if soldiers were present, could we dare to believe that there might have been uh, our friend the centurion present as well, witnessing the events taking place before his eyes? But in Luke 23, we know that the centurion sees Jesus crucified. But the question of what he sees is still a good one to explore. In our passage, we see Jesus on the cross with two criminals. One who, like the soldiers surrounding Jesus, is taunting and jeering at him, having a bit of fun even as he dies on the cross. The other criminal being crucified with Jesus says these words. Do you not fear God to the, to the criminal who was jeering? since you are under the same sentence. We are punished justly, for we're getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. And until I prepared this talk this morning, I, I hadn't realized that there's this wonderful explanation of what the cross is all about in the encounter between the criminal not jeering and, and Jesus. So let's just, let's just drill into that for a moment. The criminal who's not jeering accepts his guilt and accepts that where he is, it is the price that he's paid for what he's done. But he also accepts that Jesus is there because he's innocent, that Jesus has done no wrong. Also happening 
is the extension of paradise to that same man who accepts that Jesus is innocent and that he is guilty. And Jesus extends paradise to him so that death has no more authority over that man's life. And that man will now live in eternity. And there's this beautiful, touching um, explanation of what the cross of Jesus is all about. Uh, About the guilt of, of, of us, of people, the innocence of Christ, but the power of God to say that death has no authority over our lives. And standing and watching this encounter is the Roman centurion. And on seeing Jesus on the cross, forgiving, being compassionate, extending paradise and eternity to this criminal who accepts his guilt and his place, praises God and says, she was a righteous man. The authority of the centurion's orders to oversee the execution of yet another man was not going to drive him to praise God. The authority alone of, of the centurion's orders to oversee the execution of Jesus was not sufficient or anything to do with what led him to praise God. The influence of Jesus' compassion and mercy on this man did. Scripture is authoritative. It tells us what we need to know of the character of God and his call on our lives. But the influence of scripture made real by the work of the spirit living in us makes real the promises of scripture, makes real the love and forgiveness of scripture and his compassion uh, and God's compassion on our lives. The influence of Jesus on the cross impacted the Roman centurion to the point where he praised God and said, surely this was a righteous man. And I don't know about you, but I get frustrated sometimes when I read the Bible because I want to know what happens next. I want to know more. And of course, you know, that's not possible because, you know, the volumes would fill this room. But I want to ask, you know, what was the impact of that centurion coming to Jesus I want to know if any of us are standing here today because the centurion passed his faith on to someone who passed his faith on to someone who passed their faith on to someone. Suddenly, you know, you and I are standing here as part of Christ's body this morning. Isn't that an incredible thought? We don't know what happened with the centurion's life or the impact it had afterwards. But it would certainly have had an impact. It would have had an impact on his household. Perhaps the whole household was baptised and went on to have a massive impact in the spreading of the early church. That's speculative, we don't know. What you'll know is that there are people in your lives who have impacted them and shaped them. What you will know and what you will probably be able to identify in your mind is those people who you think of as mentors, those people you think of as guides in your life, And you'll be encouraged to know that I'm not a gambling man. Um, 
But if I was to have a bet, I would say that it's not people necessarily who exercise authority over you that you're thinking of, but people whose character and passions and values have so impacted your life. I would imagine that the people that you have in your mind's eye right now might be the people who have been consistently present in your life regardless of what you've been through and have committed themselves to supporting you. And, that, and it might be that they've been, they've been supporting you in growing in faith. It might be that you have spiritual uh, figures in your life. Or it might be that God's gifted you with talents in music or art or, or sport or academia or, or uh, other areas and that there have been people who have supported you and enabled the flourishing of those gifts in your life. But I, I would hazard a guess that it's the influence and character um, and committedness of those people. We use the word faithfulness in the church um, who have impacted your lives in a profound way. What does the centurion have to teach us? That we live under authority, but we can allow ourselves to be open to the influence of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we wonder at the thoughts and words and life stories of those who saw your son die on the cross. And we thank you that we have come here this morning and that we have been able to encounter you in and through our worship. And we pray that we would encounter you in our daily lives. And as we look on your son, may we, like the centurion, praise God and recognize Jesus' righteousness. And as we submit our lives to the authority and influence of scripture, may others see Christ through us so that your church and your kingdom may be built in our midst. Amen. Sometimes we uh, try to work out what we're going to do for God. What are we going to do? How are we going to impact? I think God sometimes just wants our heart.